You know, David had some really high highs. So David gets appointed the next king, gets anointed the next king, and David goes back to serving. And then David one day shows up at a, at a valley to take cheese and bread to his brothers, and there's a giant in the valley. David can't understand why nobody's fighting the guy. David is not old enough to know he shouldn't do it. He's not old enough to know he's not qualified to do it. So David takes a, a slingshot and five smooth stones, and he only uses one of them, and he waxes the giant. And David becomes legendary. David, all of a sudden, this anointed next king, everybody begins to find out who David is. And just a few years later, David takes over the appointment as the king, and David was everything is advertised. It's like, you know, the, the Braves just did the draft, and we don't know if for a couple years are they going to be as good as they thought they would be. David was exactly what they thought. They would be. In fact, David was a little bit better. David was a little bit stronger. And David, all of a sudden, David becomes the guy in all the kingdom. And David is here. He is as high as high could go. In fact, he as a king had led the amassing of territory. He was the warrior king. He was a fighter. He was a leader. He was everything. And then 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12 tell us that David, as high as he went, David found his place low as well. David, that spring, sent the armies off to war. And the Bible says a really interesting statement. And the statement was, and David stayed home. A warrior's never meant to stay home. A warrior's meant to be on the front lines. David didn't. Rest is good when you're busy. Idleness is bad when you're not. And David was idle. So David goes out on his rooftop. He looks out across the way. And lo and behold, there is a lady on the rooftop bathing across the way. And David's enamored with her. And David decides to do what David probably never dreamed he would do. David sins for her. Her name was Bathsheba. All right, this is like a biblical lifetime movie, all right? And so he, he sins for her. She comes over. Her and David are together. Problem is, she's married. And David was warned she was married by his guys. I mean, can you imagine telling the king, king, I, I don't know if you're really making a good decision. She's a married woman. And David said, I want her anyway. She comes over. Bathsheba ends up pregnant. So David does what any good king would do. He calls her husband home and says, well, maybe I can get them together. Nobody will ever know it's mine. And her husband's too loyal to David, too loyal to his army, too loyal to the warriors that he's with, and he won't go in. So David goes to the next step. David gets him drunk, and the guy still won't go. So David ends up having to send him off to war and tell the army to pull back when he goes out and Uriah's killed. He marries Bathsheba. Nobody will ever know about the story, except 3,000 years later, here we are talking about it. All right, and so David, David said, has it all planned out. You know, nobody's ever gonna know. Ha, David, man, is here. And then David goes here. Highs and lows. 
You never know what somebody's made of in their successes, but you can sure what learn somebody's made of when they fail. Raise your hand if you're in our room, you're in True North today, if you have failed at some point in your life. Raise your hand. We may not fail like David, we failed. <clears throat> so David now is getting on with life, right? Life moves on, nobody will ever know. And then one day a prophet shows up to get David's wisdom. Because, man, when you're on top, you love sharing wisdom, right? You love to share your opinion. on You share your opinion when people don't even ask for it. And so this guy comes in and says, David, I want to paint a scenario for you. And the scenario is there's this one guy who really doesn't have anything. And there's another guy who has everything. And the guy who's everything went and took the one guy who didn't have anything. He takes his and makes it his what should I do about that? What should I tell him? And David, boy, I mean, we're delivering judgment on other people. We come on strong. David's like, you should do this. And Nathan looks at him and said, David, you know you're the man. And David bottoms out. The story we're gonna read today wasn't written when David was here. It was written when David was here. And it's one thing to fail. It's another thing to feel like a failure. Does that make sense to everybody? It's one thing to blow it or somebody else blows it and you're just caught up in it. It's another thing when you feel like the failure because there's a word that you deal with and it's the first giant that we talk about today. It's the giant of shame. If you got your app out today, you feel it, it's the giant of shame because we're embarrassed about the choice we've made, we're, we're overwhelmed with what we've done, and what David does in that moment determines where David ends up. I, I was talking to a great sports psychologist, worked with a professional athletes for years, and he, and he made this statement. He said, Mike, the difference between an average athlete and a great athlete is the speed of recovery. Average ones fail and they live in the failure. The great ones fail and they bounce right back. We watch David bouncing back. Would you stand with me today in honor of reading God's word together? Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. You got your Bibles? You want to flip over there? If you got the app out, it's probably the North Star Church in the, uh, Georgia. In the app store is the easiest way to follow along. David, at his lowest, pins this song is what it was. He writes a song and delivers it to the choir directors, what scripture tells us, for them to sing. The words you're gonna read are not the words from the palace looking over his territory. The words you're gonna read are from the place of, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. They're haunting, they're strong, and they capture all of us. Psalm chapter 51, let's start reading verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing what? What's the next word there? David at his lowest still trusted that God's love was greater than where he was. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. 
Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what's evil in your sight. You'll be proved right, and what you say in your judgment against me is just. I am basically what David's saying is there. I am guilty of all charges. That's what David's saying. I'm not even. I'm not even appealing this. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom ever there, even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I'll teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God, who saves. Then I'll joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips that I may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings, with whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What David was saying was this, God, I'm at your mercy. You know everything. Do with me what you will. And that's the story we're gonna talk about. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing in one of our rooms this morning, would you just ask God to speak to your heart through his word today, would you? And then would you tell him when you speak, I'll listen. I promise I'll listen. Father, no matter where a person's ears are this morning, whether in one of our rooms on our campus or watching from a hotel room or a car or a back porch, God, may we hear from you today. May we hear loud and clear. You left this story for us. May we learn from it now. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So if I've never met you before, my name is Mike. It's an honor to have you here at North Star this morning as we continue this series in the life of David. You can't tell David and Goliath that Cole did such a great job telling us last week without telling this part of the story. Our lives are made of high and low experiences. Our lives are made of goods and bads. All right, let's, let's just set, the, set it, make sure we're all on a level playing field. I always try to give you, like in school, you get pop quizzes. I'm gonna give you a pop quiz to see if you pass. Ready? I've been out a couple weeks, so let's make sure, make sure we're all still in line. Was David's sin a great sin, yes or no? Yes. Bad sin. Two of the commandments he broke. Do not commit adultery, right, was one of the commands, and don't murder, one of the commands. He broke both of them. Yet in the New Testament, it still says God 
God said about David, he's a man after my own heart and he served his purpose. How in the world do we marry those two? How in the world do those things fit together? That's what we're gonna talk about. So you got th- thumbs to type in with, pen to write with, something to keep up with this morning. Today's for us, I'm telling you. If you haven't found yourself there yet, you will, all right? And so these are words you need and I need. Ready? Lesson number one, how do we learn from David? We've gotta admit my sin. I gotta own it. Admit my sin and own it. So I'm gonna use two words. And so if you're thumbing in or writing in, I want you to write down two words, ready? Ownership is one word, rationalize is the other word. Ownership, rationalize. Ownership says, yeah, I did it. Rationalize says, I did it, but who takes a bath in the afternoon on top of their house? It's her fault, right? I mean, that's rationalizing, right? So, I mean, I shouldn't subject myself to these things. It's not my fault she walked up there. And you can, listen, we, we're pros at rationalizing. I remember hearing Rick Warren say this years ago, rationalizing is really just a ration of lies, God, I wish I'd have thought of that. Why did I not think of that? Anyways, that's what Rick Warren said. It's a ration of lies. You ever rationalized before? You ever said the why? And you don't really own it. You own a part of it. You don't own all of it. David owned all of it. Listen, listen to what he said. For I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. When nobody knew about it, David knew about it, and he knew God knew about it, and it haunted him day and night. He, could, he may put on a good front, but he was a mess. Because God desires honesty from the womb. Maybe this will help. So my parents didn't make all the right choices, okay, growing up. Listen, they, they were they're great parents, but they were fallible. I mean, they had problems like everybody else. So my mother was a banker by day and a prosecutor by evening. All right, you know what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I, I walked in and I was in trouble. I didn't even know what I was in trouble for. And I mean, she could, get, she could get down to it too. This was the era of going to school, right? This has changed a lot, where the teachers were right and the kids were wrong. How many of you are teachers? Raise your hand in the room today if you're educators. All of them look really sad. They're sort of like, I know, I gotta go back. All right, and so, but, but, that was the era I grew up in. So I was in junior high, seventh grade. This was back when elementary was first to sixth. Junior high was seventh and eighth, and you had ninth through twelfth in high school. So I'm seventh grader. I got a locker at the school, and I distinctly remember one of my teachers, and I've told this story before, but I distinctly remember my teacher's name, Miss McMurray. She had taught at that school for 30-plus years, and here was her claim to fame. She had never lost a student's paper in 30 plus years of teaching, ever. And she was proud of that fact. She shared it when we came in for our little meeting. I've never lost a child's paper in 30 something years. That's great. Well, I remember distinctly coming home from school one day with my progress report. 
And this was back in the day before parents could check it online and you brought it home. And, and I remember after I saved, I saved it. You know, I, I was trying to be really nice at dinner. I cleaned up after myself. And, and my mom said, did you get anything today? I was like, I got my progress report. And I showed it to my mom. And I was failing English. Now, my mother knew I was not bright in mathematics, all right? And so, but you, you gotta be able to do good in what you're good at. And I was good in English. And I had a 67 midway, whatever the number of weeks was, midway. <clears throat> Remember, banker by day, prosecutor by evening, all right? And my mother goes, would you like to explain the 67? So I did what any good Christian seventh grader would do. I lied, all right? And so I said to my mom, I said, well, um, and I'm, I'm thinking now, what am I gonna say? Miss McMurray lost my papers. That's a bad idea. Really, really bad idea. Miss McMurray, she did. Yes, ma'am. She lost, she lost your papers. Miss McMurray said in 30 plus years, she's never lost a paper. That was the end of dinner and went on. I didn't think any more about it. The next afternoon, I got home from school. My mom had come home early from the bank. I said, Mom, what are you doing home early? She said, we're taking a ride. Where are we going? We're going to see Miss McMurray. Oh, dear Jesus. All right, dear Lord, I know that the Bible says you're coming. Would you come very, very soon, right? This is, this is not gonna end good, man. There is a showdown at the OK Corral, and I'm gonna be the loser of this event. And so my mom, I'm like, Mom, I've got baseball practice. No, you don't. You got a meeting. We're, we're gonna go meet with Miss McMurray because if she lost your paper, then she needs to own up to it, and she needs to give you your points back. Well, I knew where the papers were. They were in my locker. That's where the papers were. So we get in the car and we start driving and mom ain't turning around and there is no talking. We're on the way to Fayetteville and we make the turn to go to Fayette County Junior High when I owned it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So I said, mom, I lied. The papers are in my locker. She didn't lose them. Mom pulls into a parking lot. And I thought I was gonna have my last supper. All right, and I, so I, oh, we pull in the parking lot. And she said, I'll never forget it. I knew you had lost those papers. I just wanted you to own it. Because if you don't own it, you ain't going anywhere in life. My mother never forgot that event because she brought it up for many, many years, all right? And so I would say something. How do I know you're telling the truth? Oh, dear Lord, are we telling the story again? David did something most people can't do. David owned it. David didn't rationalize it. David didn't excuse it. David said, I get it, and I did it. Look at number two. You gotta let God break your heart over it. And God broke David's heart. David, the king, snapped. And David goes, not only did I do it, I sinned against you. Mark Rutland, a great pastor and leader, he said it this way, how do you know if a man's repentance is genuine 
One good indication of sincerity is the depth of the repentance matches the magnitude of their sin. David's sin was great and David's ownership was great. Telling you, man, most of us find ourselves in a place where we just don't wanna own it. The reason David later could be called a man after God's own heart is because at his worst, David said, God, it was me. I get it. Look at what, look at what it says. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. How do you know when a person's broken? They take full responsibility. I did it. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. It wasn't Uriah's fault. It was my fault. It's great to own it. It's great to be broken by it, but if that's the end of the story, that didn't help us. Point number three is this. David ran to God for mercy and grace. I'll be honest. <clears throat> if I was writing the Bible and I was in charge of this, I would have left this story out. This is a sordid story. But God left it in. He left it in to let us, to let us all know that people in life are gonna blow it. But I think there was a greater reason he left it in. He wanted you to know as great as David's sin was, his grace was deeper. See, if your view of God is God's waiting there with a switch or a paddle to get you as soon as you do something wrong, you've missed what Scripture says. God loved David when David killed Goliath and he ruled the kingdom God loved David when David was at the bottom. If you've never been to the bottom, it's a lonely place. Sometimes we don't end up at the bottom because of our choice. We end up there because of the choices of others. Because here's what the bottom does. It traps us in a prison cell and tells us we can't get out. You're in, you're marked, you're scarred. God could never use you. You're forgotten, you're has been, you could have been, but because of fill in the blank, divorce, choice, whatever it is, I mean, just fill in the blank. God can't use you. Ladies and gentlemen, that just doesn't fit with what we just read. I love how David says it. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. 
because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. It literally is a picture. In fact, the other night I was gonna pull it up and I didn't do it, but I remember when Casey was playing ball growing up. Remember how dirty uniforms can get? Some of you parents, you've washed those uniforms. I mean, they are dirty. And you're like, we didn't play the game yet. All right, and so, I mean, just head to toe dirty. Literally, it's the picture of a clean uniform. You blot out the stain. I want everybody to look at me. You see your stain. God sees who you can be. His love is unfailing. Point number four. And let God turn my mess into my message. <clears throat> then I'll teach your ways to rebels. And they'll return to you. You know what David said? God, use this to help somebody in 2021 in Ackworth, Georgia know that no matter how deep their transgression was, your grace is deeper. I'm telling you, I pray that I never get to the place I look down my nose at where people are. Because, buddy, we can be right there tomorrow, can't we? You know what this church is about? Seeing how deep the reservoir of God's grace is. Here's what I love about it. God didn't say, David, man, I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> God said, David, I love you. Let's clean it up and let's go. Let's live the life that you were called to live. And David somehow in the deepest pit of his life, he found God's grace was deeper and his story wasn't over. And that prison door that he thought was locked wasn't locked. 3,000 years later, we're still reading the song he wrote. Because David said, I don't want you to ever forget that when I was at my lowest, God was at his best. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know how you walked in here today. Maybe you're, maybe you're here. Maybe you're here. But wherever it is, God will meet you there. Would you pray with me? Father, as I was driving in this morning, early, 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 dark 30, driving through that drizzle and rain, thought about some that were gonna get up and get dressed this morning and they were gonna come to church. They're gonna tune in. Because that's what you do on Sundays. And they've been trapped in a prison for years. In fact, they've been in that prison cell so long now, they know that God loves and they know that God forgives and they know that God cares for everybody else. 
They didn't know that it was for them. God didn't save us at our best. He saved us at our worst. I'm going to ask you to do something gutsy. Compass and true north. Maybe you're in here today and you say, Mike, you say prison cell. Dude, I got it, man. I get it. I've been trapped for years after filling the blank. As you shared that story today, it was like my name was in the story. Mike, today I don't want to stay in the prison cell any longer. I want to accept the grace and compassion that my heavenly Father gave. And I want my mess to become a message. Nobody's looking. Nobody's going to bother you. This is between you and the Lord. If that's you here today, would you just stand where you are? Just stand up right where you are and say, God, I don't want to live in the cell of despair any longer. Just stand right where you are. It's between you and God. It's between you and the Lord. Would you just tell him where you are? Would you? Then I want you to repeat this phrase in your mind, but your grace is deeper. Your grace is deeper. God, I don't know the stories of those standing in our rooms today, but I know this, you do. And you don't use some of our story, use all of our story to bring people home to you. God, would you do that in their lives? Now I'm gonna ask everyone to stand, would you? Father, today, Seth said a moment ago in our compass service, Sometimes we sing because we believe. Sometimes we sing until we believe. God, no matter where we find ourselves, may this last song, may may it not be about the person on my right or my left or sitting behind me. Father, may we take these words and send them straight to your heart. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.